What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview for UFC 286. I am Jason Floyd. Of course, as always, I am joined by the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. here on a Thursday evening, typically here on Fridays, but uh, tomorrow I've got some things going on, so myself will be here on a Thursday night, so we appreciate everyone if you're watching us live, tune in here on a Thursday night. Of course, be sure to smash that thumbs up button if you're watching the show on YouTube. If maybe you're catching us up on the podcast networks, you can check us, uh, give us a rating and review. That really does help us a lot as well. Pete, uh, happy Thursday evening, bro. How's it going, man? What is going on? What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us. Um Happy to be here to break down another fight week and a uh, solid card, man. Like, I, I, I like it. And, um, you know, I love these international cards. And um, when we start to see some of that homegrown talent, um, whether they're in favorable matchups or not, I, I just really like it. So going across the pond, uh, I'm excited for this card, to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, kind of, you know, just kind of looking at the DFS salaries before we kind of really get into breaking this one down. I mean, there, there's some salaries that, that stick out to you. There, there's some fighters throughout this card that you look from a grappling side that they could be fighters that go out and and, and break the slate, kind of like what we saw Marab last week with his 48 takedown attempts. I don't think, I, it, like Pete, if I would have sat here a week ago and said, hey, by the way, Marab's going to attempt 48 takedowns, you would have probably looked at me and go, Jason, what drugs are you on? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was – I made such a bad mistake last week. And uh, first of all, Peter Yan, I don't know what has happened to him, um, whether it's just like he's in his own head and he can't really pull the trigger, uh, kind of like that Tyron Woodley effect or something where it's just like they're present, but they're really not reacting. Um, that's kind of what was going on, and Marab never gave him an opportunity to do anything. He just the, – the pace was set, and he – was constantly defending that he never was able to get the ball rolling offensively for himself. And I made such a terrible mistake. I ended up like, you know, I do this a lot where I go super aggressive on somebody and either it hits and I have a great night or it doesn't. And it's just like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy the fights and turn it to sports betting. I had, I ended up going with like a locked in Carl Williams. And I was like, yeah, that's that 9,000 fighter. I'm going to get different with. He absolutely smashed and had the highest score for the longest time. Little did I realize that for whatever reason, I had virtually no Marab, like virtually none. And and like I know it's a close fight, and I didn't even follow my own basic rule of prioritizing main event, co-main event underdogs. You have to have some because on any given night, how many times are we right on a lot of these fights? But lately, I've been off on the main events or the co-main events. So uh, yeah, it, it was it was ridiculous, and it turned what was going to be a an extremely profitable night into a below average night and uh you know got to learn from your mistakes and uh make sure you don't do what i did get get exposure to the the co-main event and main event underdogs all the time hey congratulations to you Pete. you finally beat me in the listener contest <laughs> we both didn't cash though so i don't think <laughs> oh it- yeah yeah uh kudos to uh from underscore fresno taking it down last week 561 points. He had Marab, who had 167 points. Uh, you know, also Carl Williams, who went out there and got 129.99. Uh, also, Bruno Silva with 91. Carlson Harris with 112. But yeah, if you did not have Marab in your lineup, uh, you definitely were not going to cash. Uh, by the way, we'll we'll do we'll have that listener contest. I'll get that thing set up. We'll put that in the show description and in the, in the show notes on the podcasting side, so you can get into that listener contest. That we have over there, a ten dollar entry fee, and then we pay out. Then the uh, top three pay out. Yeah, I can't. I mean, it's fun, right? It's fun to see how 
like you're going up against Jason and I, and <laughs> you guys have been kicking our butts. I have to tell you. So, uh, you know, but yeah, Jay, Jason's been doing really well. I have yeah, not. On the yeah. Unfortunately, I had uh, I had three fighters all under twenty points: uh, Dumas, Span, and Romanov. Uh, yeah, I did hit the other three, uh, but uh, but yeah, man, it's uh, yeah. I mean, you get that that fire with only one point. It's uh, yeah, you're not you're not going to cash. Yeah, if you rostered as much Cendric Dumas as I did, you really felt like a Dumas, and uh, and <laughs> I, I I did. So it, it was not it was not good. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. But, of course, we appreciate everyone uh, tuning in. Of course, we're going to break down UFC 286. Of course, we'll go fight by fight. Then at the end of the show, we'll take on your questions. So you can line those up in the chat right now. But, Pete, let's get right into the main event. It is the trilogy matchup between Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. Of course, Leon Edwards knocking out Kamaru Usman in their last matchup. He is 7300 on DK, 8900 on FanDuel, $16 for Leon Edwards over on FanDuel, 22 for Kamar Usman. Usman is a minus 240 betting favorite, plus 200 for Leon Edwards. You know, Pete, I, I don't think it, this is a, a tough fight to break down stylistically. I think we kind of know what this matchup is. I I, I was doing my, my other podcasts uh, right before we started doing this one, and, and the thing that I kind of presented was there's these question marks I think you have with Kamar Usman. You know, you look at it and say, okay, what is Kamar Usman? We know about the hand injury. He's talked about for years about kind of the wear and tear of his body, you know, from, you know, wrestling and, and now into mixed martial arts. And, you know, he does turn 36 in a couple weeks. Yeah, all fair questions, right? Like father time's undefeated. Um, a lot of times, you know, once a fighter realizes their opponent is human, um, they, they tend to have a lot more success. And I wonder if the the knockout and knowing that he possesses the power to knock out Kamara Usman, I wonder if like, you know, Leon Edwards is going to go out there a little bit more offensive. I do think that if you look at it, you know, on paper, Kamara Usman has dominated, what, 35 of the 39 total minutes that these guys have been in the cage. Um, he's relentless with the takedowns. I know that his body is, you know, completely torn apart from the years you know, of wrestling in addition to all the wear and tear of MMA. Um, you know, he has that style that, th that can break the slate. I'm not going to make it two weeks in a row where I make the mistake and I go too heavy on one side or another. I'm still going to pick somebody to win the fight. Me, personally, I went back and I watched both encounters. And I do think for the longest time, Kamar Usman has been getting by by pressuring his opponents. I wonder if getting knocked out makes him a little a little worried about running into another shot. So perhaps he's not as aggressive as he used to be. Um, you tend to just be very aggressive until you get hurt. You see it all the time. Somebody's aggressive. They get hit with a, a big shot. And now they finally have that respect of, oh boy, I better be careful. So I wonder if Leon goes out there and sets the tone early, if it kind of is in the back of Kamar Usman's mind of like, all right, I got to be really careful. And being methodical and careful could lead to like a point fighting contest for the most part. But if wrestling exchanges are there, I do think it's pretty obvious that Kamaru Usman has the upper hand. Leon has the counters. I I do like to think that um, the fatigue drop off and the adrenaline dump of everything being in Salt Lake last time, I think that has something to do with it. Leon not training at altitude, whereas Kamaru always trains at altitude. So it's a fight where I'm going to get to both sides, admittedly. I really am. Checking out the ownership, it's where it needs to be, truthfully. Like, it really is. There's a ton of fights on the card. I'm going to get away from it. 
might get away from it in like 20% of my lineups just to, to, you know, for the, for the chance that there's six other high performers on this card. But I, I still actually truthfully think that Leon having that confidence and knowing that he can knock him out, I'm leaning towards Leon. And I feel like you might be on the opposite end of this and it's completely fine. I don't fault anybody at all. Virtually when the fight comes around, I'm not going to care who wins. Because I'm going to have almost near even exposure to it. Probably even a little bit more towards the former champ just because of the wrestling upside. But I am perhaps, I am actually, in fact, picking Leon Edwards to uh, to land some shots uh, and either work his way towards winning a decision or possibly knocking out Kamar Usman again. Look, I do like Usman to win this fight. I mean, we'll give our straight-up fight picks later on the show, but yep. for me, it is going to be Kamar Usman. Now, that's the caveat of saying Kamar Usman goes the wrestling route in this matchup. That, you know, It is his clear path to victory. Now, if Leon Edwards can keep this fight on the feet, yeah, I think Leon Edwards has got a tremendous chance to regain his title. I mean, you know, and you know I say this line all the time. Father time hits everyone. And yeah. I oh, do yeah. want. I do wonder, could we see that with Kamar Usman? He has got to be able. And, and by the way, I mentioned this uh, in a great comment in the chat here from Barry, where he says former champs are three and eleven trying to regain their belts in immediate rematches in the UFC. And yeah, I, I saw that that stat here the other day, and I was uh, I was familiar with that stat that is there. Um, but to me, it, it, the question mark is, and, and like you, I went back and watched the first fight, and I had forgotten about how well the start Leon Edwards had got off in that Mm -hmm. first round. You just remember so much of that second, third, and fourth round. And the UFC put out this great promo video this week where, I mean, you you look at Leon Edwards in the fifth round. Pete, you're the fighter here. He looked mentally defeated. Oh, yeah. And that's where the corner came in, right? Like, mentally defeated, training, well, fighting at altitude. Um, The guy's in great shape, so it's not like he doesn't train hard. It is the pace of Kamar Usman, but it's also the elevation. People underestimate how horrible elevation is. I have experienced it firsthand, and I'm always in great shape. And then when I went out and trained in New Mexico, it's like, bro, it's it's completely different. You're gassing when you shouldn't be gassing, and then when you go back to normal elevation, um, you know, you're, you're back at sea level. You're fighting perfectly fine. So anybody who trains at elevation is always going to have the upper hand as far as the pace and the endurance goes, but, uh, you know, I, I actually think that we could see Leon Edwards perform a little bit better since he's not affected by that little X factor. Um, and I do think that if you go back and you watch the first fight, you saw those hand combinations were landing. I think he's going to end up piecing him up with a hand combination. Um, I don't think it's going to be a head kick again. I think the hands are going to be there. Even if you go back and you, and you think about the Gilbert Burns and Kamar Usman fight, like Gilbert Burns hits really, really hard. And he, he, he was cracking Kamar Usman. And I, I think that from a damage perspective, Leon will probably have the upper hand, but from a um, from a control time and just based on the scoring system, we could see Kamar Usman just banking rounds because of the takedown. Like, oh, close round, he gets a takedown, and then it comes down to the judges, but we'll see. I mean, when it comes for DFS, I'm going to have tons of this fight, so I really don't care. I mentioned this comment, and you know, and and this comes from my Cajun Cam. He says Edwards is a really good fire, but that kick was once in a lifetime. Good for Edwards, but 
get it, but it won't happen again. Look, that was a kick they practice all camp long. Yeah. So, like, these are these things, and, and we saw it a couple of weeks ago with Alexa Grosso where their team had identified something. And this is and, – and, Pete, you, you can talk about this from a head coaching aspect of you're going to look at film so much to just try to find what is the kink in the armor. And, you know, give them kudos. And, and by the way, I think Usman's handled this tremendously this week. He's like, look, I got caught. He goes, you know, he goes, but I dominated the fight. And and I think he, outside of the first round, yeah, he, he's very much on that. But on the betting side of this equation, Pete, I mean, if you like Leon Edwards to win this thing by knockout, you might as well take this plus 500 to win by TKO KO. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, right, like Kamaru Usman, his track record, he, he lost, right? And he scored... 98 points he was i mean he's he's just he breaks slates man like he is he might be the best dfs player out there next to colby covington if not better so you know i I do think that if leon wins it's hard to be better than kamar usman for three rounds so the 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 ko prop is fine the thought and threat of the of the the kick can actually be used against kamar usman a lot now you know he's drilling head kick defense you know that Leon has already alluded to it again. Me as a head coach, if I landed a head kick, a head kick or one of my guys landed a head kick, we're going to faint the kick a lot, and then we're going to capitalize with hands. Or instead of coming with a round kick, we're going to come up with a front kick or a knee up the middle. So as our opponent's really thinking in their mind that they're ingrained in blocking that round kick, we're coming straight down the middle with something. So we'll see if Leon makes those adjustments because um, he's going to have to. I don't think you can go back to that kick because you already know that Kamar Usman's just drilling, stepping, stepping through with that right hand counter. So we'll have to see. I cannot wait. It's a phenomenal fight. You can't go wrong with either one of these guys. So so dominant, and uh, can't wait to see who wins. Who wins this one? There is an intriguing prop on the Kamar Usman side that sticks out to me. Not saying this is going to happen. I just find it very interesting. Kamar Usman wins via submission plus fourteen hundred. Yeah, you know I'm not with that, and the reason I'm not with that. I, I get the, the juicy numbers attached with it. If I had to say to you who has the better jiu-jitsu, who would you say? I would I would say Leon. I'm just thinking mm-hmm. if you're it's a a high pace and Kamaru is utilizing wrestling, just wears down. I mean, I mean, look, how many times have we seen jujitsu artists who are amazing at what they do and the gas tank just goes out and mm-hmm. their opponent lands that submission? Yeah, I mean, fatigue makes a coward of us all, right? So, like, you could have anybody just get so exhausted. And Leon was there. I think that if Kamara really showed him the door, he was gone. Uh, like, if he put him in a threatening position, whether it was a submission or, like, ruthless ground and pound, less control, more of damage, I, I think that Leon could have been out of there. And it was pretty evident. That's why the coaches were hopping all over Leon there. Um I, I went back and I was pretty surprised at how savvy Leon's jujitsu is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's something to really utilize against a wrestler, so to speak, but I, I think that it can threaten a little bit. Um, club and subs happen all the time, right? Like club them in the face, knock them down, capitalize on a submission when they get, when they're half rocked. So I'm not going to say no. There's some, some submission props out there against some, Fighters I don't really hold in such high regard. I can't wait to talk about. <laughs> but for me, if you like Kamar Usman, I think that the play is Kamar Usman the win by decision, which is plus 100. But 
it's probably better better bets out there. Plus one hundred, it's yeah. like why bother? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of prop bets I, I think that do stick out for you throughout this car. We'll talk about that, of course. We appreciate everyone tuning in here to Fight HQ. If you're not subscribed to the channel, be sure to do that. We do appreciate that. Also, uh, be sure to join our Discord channel. Totally free to join. Great conversation we have in there. Of course, we'll be in there during the fights on Saturday afternoon. By the way, lock time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. On Saturday, pay per view five PM each time, which uh, big fan of that, Pete. Big fan of that. <laughs> I, big I fan of that. Well, yeah. Uh, let's move over to the co-main event. We got lightweight matchup: Rafael Fiziev taking on Justin Gaethje. Uh, Fiziev a minus two thirty betting favorite, plus one ninety for Gaethje. Over on the DFS side of the equation, uh, Fiziev eighty eight hundred on DK, eighteen on Fanduel, and for Justin Gaethje seventy four hundred on DK, twelve dollars <laughs> on Fanduel. And you know, Pete, I, I feel like we talk about this every Justin Gaethje fight. Are we going to see Justin Gaethje utilize wrestling? I want I want people to stop talking about it because, no, it ain't going to happen. In the UFC, attempted one takedown, and that was his second fight against Eddie Alvarez. He ain't a wrestler, guys. He has built his name, his reputation, his career off of using his wrestling, similar to how Chuck Liddell did, his defensive wrestling into just brutalizing his, his opponents by throwing hands. He's too in love with his hands, and he should – you know, mix things in a little bit better, but this is who he is, man. And, you know, he inflicts so much damage on his opponents outside the UFC, inside the UFC. Every time Justin Gaethje fights, like I am, I, I have to tune into it. Like I love Justin Gaethje. Um, not necessarily like I'm always picking him to win because I'm not. I just know if Gaethje's in a fight, that fight's going to be crazy. It's going to be insane. And he will... Really smother your space, hand fight a lot, chop leg kicks, shell up whenever you throw something back to him. Um, he'll get rocked. He'll try to rock you. It's crazy that just the pace, the pressure. Like you, if you told me Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje was going to go the distance, I, I would have laughed. And oddly enough, it did. And they were both so, so tough. And, you know, it was a tough man competition. But most of Gaethje's fights have ended inside the distance. In fact, the only fight in the UFC for Justin Gaethje to go the distance was against, you know, Michael Chandler. So outside of that, he's either been finished or he's finishing. So I really can't wait for this fight. You know that this is a striker's delight. I'm obsessed with striking. I love striking. It's my background. It's my forte. I can't wait to see this fight. Rafael Fiziev is a guy that I was super, super high on coming into the UFC. And then he got hit with a spinning back kick against Magomed Mustafaev. And I'm like, did I like, you know, watch this fight film incorrect? Was my were my reads wrong? Nope, they were right. And this guy's absolutely legitimate. He can defend takedowns well. He can brutalize you on the feet. His slip and rip ability, digging to the body, is exceptional. He's able to throw quick, quick kicks. Excellent liver kick. Excellent head kick. Um, not a sucker for leg kicks. And I think that's a big, big difference maker here against Justin Gaethje. Most of his opponents are suckers for leg kicks. So he's able to chop at the legs, which really, really drains his opposition. And then when they start to stand in that phone booth because their mobility is limited, he's able to just punish them with ridiculous hand combinations. The performance against Tony Ferguson is one of the most insane performances ever. And the fact that there were no, there was nobody in attendance and that was in the COVID era, that was one of the most brutal fights I've ever watched, Jason. That fight was ridiculous. That and the Glover Teixeira against Anthony Smith knocking the veneers halfway across the cage was crazy. So with all that being said, I can't wait. And Justin Gaethje as an underdog, you know, 
he's a legitimate underdog every time he's out there for you to circle and, and you know get aggressive with his with his ownership with your exposure you know what i mean like he's just he's going to go out there and fight and he's going to try to finish his opponents my my worry is that chin he's rocked all the time and i do think against a high level striker in hotfield fazeev who possesses hand power hand speed timing rhythm i think my boy hotfield fazeev is going to knock out justin gaethje and if he doesn't i think he's going to just put on a striking display and uh, pick him apart. But I do worry about Rafael Fazeev kind of gassing out in the third round. So if it was five rounds, I'd be even more worried. But three rounds, I think that Rafael Fazeev has this fight. So I'm going to be favoring here at uh, you know, at 8,800. And I'm going to be way more aggressive than the field with this fighter. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the things when you kind of look at, you know, the projections that we're seeing for this fight. It, it, it did really did stick out to me on both sides of the equation because of knowing that this is, I mean, look, this is all caps banger. I mean, this is what this matchup is. And, and so the, the ownership kind of stuck out to me a little bit. Now, when I look at the prop side of this equation, Pete, uh, the plus 350 Gaethje to win by TKO KO really does stick out to me. Um, yeah. Even even Fazee, plus 150 win by TKO KO. Um, maybe if you want a little bit better odds, if you think the Saints going 15 minutes, Raphael Fazee plus 225 to win via decision, that one kind of sticks out to me a little bit here. I mean, like, we no one is going to sit there and, and say that Justin Gaethje is a better striker than Raphael Fazee. He's a better technical striker. But to me, it becomes this question of can Justin Gaethje bring him into a brawl? Yeah, and you know, like as an underdog, I'm fine with getting to Gaethje because of that power, because of his well-rounded skill set and the experience. And he's just a mean dude. And uh, it's about getting your your opponent to step outside of their comfort zone. And Hafiz Fazeev, if he gets hit with a crack uh, with a big shot and gets cracked. Then this could turn into like an egotistical match where they're sitting there and you know seeing who's tougher, like how Michael Chandler fights. Like, there's no reason to stay technical, Hafiz Fazeev. You're the better technician. Uh, Gaethje is still very technical, and I think he's completely underrated in that department. But he's a brawler uh, on paper against Hafiz Fazeev. Hafiz Fazeev is a technician, so Fazeev just has to be wise, not get too reckless, and get caught. When any of these fighters, these top end strikers, are trading hooks. It's 50 50 man Who, who's got the tighter hook who has the better timing somebody's gonna fall down and if you want to just play the violence play either fight it to win by tko chaos that's at minus 175 root for violence you know what i mean <laughs> and then just sit back and enjoy it i i will we're gonna talk about prize picks at, towards the end of the show but i did find interesting that the fight time prop for fazeev is 10 minutes yeah i i'm with you on that like this is a fight i think is gonna be under and under two rounds, me personally, but it all depends on the aggressive, uh, the aggressiveness. Yeah, I mean that's where I mean if you probably want to play it safe, and I'm sure this line is not good at all. I would say look at that under two and a half, which is well, it's only minus one fifty seven. Yeah, that's that's really shocking to me. I don't understand I, I, that. I would have thought at least two to one. Yeah, I mean fight doesn't go to decision is at minus two hundred, so. Maybe instead of picking somebody to win by KO, just in case something stupid happens, because you know that Justin Gaethje doesn't have the best submission defense, and there's question marks surrounding the ground game of Hafiz Fazeev. Maybe just fight doesn't go to decision and minus two hundred, just the safest play out there. And then the other you know part of this is you got Gaethje and Usman who've been in training camp together. You know yeah. that that's kind of an interesting dynamic there too. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it, it's really important when you have training partners 
And it's quite odd. It seems like every time Gaethje fights, Usman's fighting. It's weird. Uh, but, it, I mean, it's great. You have everybody's preparing together. Um, well, also makes it real exactly. easy on the, on the training team, too, when it comes to the travel aspect of this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, just because people who know kind of how this all works, it, you know, the UFC does not pay for all your training partners to get on a flight and have a hotel room and all that. That's that's where that kind of comes in into the equation there. Now, you know, we, we talked about how Kamar Usman could be a slate breaker. To me, Gunnar Nelson is another guy that has a potential chance yes. to be a slate breaker on this card. He is a minus 370 betting favorite against Byron Barberina, plus 290 for Barberina. Look at the DFS salaries. Gunnar Nelson, 9200 on DK, $20 on FanDuel, and then Barberina, he is 7000 on DK and $10 on FanDuel. And Pete, the path to victory for Gunnar Nelson is extremely clear here. Oh, it's, it's absolutely clear, and... You know, I, I think that Brian Barberena, you know, is is what he is, right? Like, he will engage in a firefight. He's totally live to win those types of exchanges. He can defend the initial takedowns. It's just like you can chain wrestle against him or take his back. He's just – he's very green in those situations. It's, and it's quite odd because, like, you know, he comes from a solid camp. You know that they're pretty good grapplers there. It's just it doesn't click with him. And uh, you, you know that um, Gunnar Nelson was originally supposed to face D- uh, Daniel Rodriguez. So naturally you have Brian Barberena coming in here on short notice. And it's just like, is Gunnar Nelson just going to stand and trade with him? Do I believe that? No, I don't. I think there are periods of time. The way that he keeps his hands low, uh, we've seen him get knocked and put on his on his butt several times just from kind of having that technical stance of his hands low and utilizing his footwork. He can dart in into a shot all day long and get knocked out. But the correct game plan is just blend his striking into his takedowns, take the back, choke out Brian Barberena, who is coming in here on short notice. And I, I think that, you know, Gunnar Nelson is clearly slate breaking uh, material. Uh, I was quite surprised he couldn't get away uh, put Takashi Sato away, to be honest. And uh, yeah, Gunnar Nelson at 9,200, he's going to be a part of a lot of my lineups. Um, I'll have some Brian Barberena in case, you know, Nelson just like totally disrespects Brian Barberena's striking skill and runs into a shot or stays in the pocket a little bit too much. It can happen. But everything I see from Gunnar Nelson, he's been in more difficult matchups than this Brian Barberena one, and he survived. So I, I see no reason to get away from uh, Gunnar Nelson here at 9,200. Yeah, I mean, when I'm thinking about fighters that I have the most confident going out there and getting a W, Gunnar Nelson would probably be at the top of the list this week for me. And, and also from a, a DFS perspective, looking about you know that, that path to 100 points with grappling, maybe yeah. a submission win for Gunnar Nelson, which, by the way, that submission win, not really a great prop out there, plus 100. Mm. Um. He's plus 700 win by TKO KO and plus 175 the win by decision. The only thing that I, I think would kind of concern me is if he can't get Barbarina out within 10 minutes and, you know, could Barbarina, you know, just survive and, and maybe you get a worn down Gunner Nelson and then he can make it into a stand-up fight. That, that'd be my only concern about uh, going heavy on Gunner Nelson. Yeah, 100%. So I, I'm not going to go like heavy on him, but. This is the same guy who just got exposed against Hopfield Dos Anjos, and I don't want to say that he got exposed because RDA is a stud. 
but he did lose a decision to Jason Witt by getting just ragdolled throughout it. Yes, he defended take, 10 takedowns, but I don't really hold Jason Witt in high regard. Um, he's fought a ton of high competition, yeah. uh, but so has Gunnar Nelson. So I just think that Gunnar's way, way too good on the ground, and I think he's going to be a little bit too much. There's levels to this, and Nelson full camp, 9,200 all day long. Like if I was going to sit there and label out a cash core for me, yeah. it might be Nelson and Usman. That's fine. That's fair. I mean, you know, you know, I'm leaning towards Edwards, but that's fair. I'm, I'm going to do that in some of my lineups too. Because I, look, I think there are some other fighters who we can save salary on. Whether we're talking yeah. about DraftKings or FanDuel, we'll get into some of those fighters as we do go on. Let's move over. Next up, we got a female matchup. We got Casey O'Neill taking on Jennifer Meyer. Casey O'Neill a minus one seventy five betting favorite, plus one fifty for Jennifer Meyer over on DraftKings eighty five hundred for O'Neill seventy seven hundred for Maya over on FanDuel seventeen for Casey fourteen dollars. For Jennifer and uh, man, Casey O'Neill is getting some ownership here today, Pete. Yeah, I mean, you know, normally every time I see Casey O'Neill, I smash, smash that exposure and uh, you know get it to a ton of her, and I'll probably still get to her. But like the field seems to absolutely be obsessed with her. And let me remind you that this is the same fighter who just came off a split decision of Roxanne Modafferi, a fighter now outside the UFC retired, um, a fighter not known for being talented on the feet having mainly a striking contest with Roxanne Modafferi not utilizing her best path to victory which is grappling I understand that Roxanne's a she's so so good on the mat jujitsu wise and could sweep you and put you in poor positions but Casey O'Neill man you you take people down or you you reverse positions and you get on top and you rain heavy heavy ground and pound that's what you did Shayna Dobson, Laura Procopio, Antonina Shevchenko. Like, well, why? Why not against Roxanne Modafferi? And now she's coming off an ACL injury and first fight back. Jennifer Maya, it's like, I don't know, man. Did, did people not go back and watch this fight against Roxanne? I was not impressed. I was like, she was 9,500 and had a split decision through 393 significant strikes. Tons of volume, right? Landed 229. She scored 121 which blows my mind. She was at, think about it. She scored 121. It was a split decision to Roxanne Mortiferi. There's a, a tremendous ceiling every time that Casey O'Neill fights. But I do think that a fighter in Jennifer Maya who's fought legitimate competition, five and five, say what you will, she's fought better competition than Casey O'Neill has. We don't know if like Casey O'Neill is going to regress a little bit coming back from knee injury. Part of a great camp, yeah. Jennifer Maya... Has it, she's coming off a victory against Marina Moroz, very talented fighter as well. You know, can throw out good volume, good boxing combinations, solid on the ground. And what did Jennifer Maya do? She just stayed on the feet and kind of outboxed her and outpointed her and everything. So she threw 253 significant strikes. I think people might be a little bit surprised as to the skills of Jennifer Maya on the mat. Obviously, an equalizer when somebody's a better jiu-jitsu practitioner than you, which I would say Jennifer Maya is the better jiu-jitsu practitioner than Casey O'Neill, punch him in the face. And punch him in the face, especially when you take him down. You know, every time you land some ground and pound, that black belt deteriorates a little bit. Brown belt, couple more shots, talking about a purple belt, you know what I mean? But she didn't do that against Roxanne. Why am I going to think she's going to do it here against Jennifer Maya? It could just be like a poor performance, underperformed, but I'm actually going to lean with the vet, and I'm going to say that Jennifer Maya gets a decision here. And uh, not a, a DFS-friendly fight for me, 
from the underdog scoring well. I think she'll score under 80. But I'm going to be picking Jennifer Maya here. This this smells like a split decision all day long. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, to me, it's just kind of just looking at the ownership projections there. And uh, Cajun mentioned, he goes, love O'Neal, but this looks like a low-scoring decision fight. Yeah, I mean, that's how I'm projecting it. But I really, like, I'm a big Casey O'Neal fan. Like, I want to get to Casey O'Neal, but I was, like, tooting her horn all last time. And she still scored really well against Roxanne Mortiferi. But, like, just think about it. One of the judges, whether it was a poor decision or not, thought that Roxanne did enough to win that fight. So, you know what I mean? Like, I just think that Jennifer Maya, you put Jennifer Maya in there against Roxanne Mortiferi, and, you know, she can do the same thing. So, yeah, give me Jennifer Maya here as an underdog. Women's MMA, volatile, coming off an injury. Yeah, Jennifer Maya, slight lean. Yeah, I'll be under the field. I was actually just going to run a dummy crunch just to see kind of what – how much she comes up for me when it comes to my projections. Uh, let's see here. Um, and so just run a dummy 150. She came in 27%. I don't mind that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. But like, if we start approaching like near half your lineups, have her, it's like, hmm. you know, like I think everybody on paper, if you just look at their production in the UFC, it looks like Casey O'Neill and Kamar Usman best one-two punch in the mid-range. Price tag's broken. Eight, well, 8900 is not really mid-range, but not in the 9000 range. You got 8900, five rounds to work with, and then you have Casey O'Neill, 8500, who has looked like she's just on a completely another level. I think that's going to be a very popular build. I'm going to get away from that build. I, I'm just telling you right now. I, I just think when we're talking about game theory and developing lineups – primarily we're talking DraftKings here, is to me it's coming up with a number of how much percentage of your lineups that you do not want to have the main event. I think that's where when you're talking about your mindset and developing lineups is that's got to be where you start and sit there and say is it doesn't matter whether you're playing – you know, single bull, uh, you know, three max, 20 max, 150 max, where, where the, the number may be for you is coming up with, okay, what is the percentage that I want to stay away from the main event? Is it 15%? Is it 20%? Yeah. I, I, I think, think if you start going north of 20%, yeah, really. it's go- you're going to be very unique. I think there's no question about that. But also I would be, I would be fearful about one of those guys just breaking the slate. So, I tell you right now, like I thought that I outsmarted so many people last week, and then I was winning like three grand, <laughs> and then like when Marab just started doing Marab things, I'm like, okay, Pete, like yeah, that's okay, Peter Jan, just now, just now start to come back, and now now land your right hand, and now start now is when you're gonna knock him out, and it never came, and I just saw my lineups dwindle. I felt like I was playing NASCAR, and my guy just got a flat tire, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's great to be unique, Jason, and it's great to separate yourself. But man, when that chalk fails, I mean, when that chalk hits and you are you don't have it, yeah, it's pretty tough. So um, don't get too too aggressive. Make sure that you're unique, but don't do what I did. Get to Marab, <laughs> you know, get to Marab, get to Usman, get to some Casey O'Neill, but don't go crazy. Like I'm seeing, like I'm expecting probably like forty to fifty percent. I'm gonna be lighter than that. Just to make sure. 
But, you know, the thing is, is looking at these fighters that have that grappling upside where they can yes, rack up exactly. points on the mat. And Marvin Vittori is potentially one of those fighters, you know, as he takes on Roman Delidze, uh, Delidze plus 230 betting underdog, minus 280 for Vittori over on the DFS side of the equation. Vittori, 9,100 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. And then for uh, Roman, he is 7,100 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. Um, I mean, look, it's, you know, you brought up a great point before we start kind of, you know, started the show here is about Marvin hasn't always been the DFS player that you want to be in terms of that ceiling. But I look at this fight, Pete, and I go, he's getting low ownership and he has a grappling upside here. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know, man. I don't want to call myself a hater. <laughs> if I picked against the guy in so many fights, I'd be fake to just all of a sudden flip. Because then when I do that, they turn around and lose. And then I'm like, I knew they sucked. I don't think that Roman Delizze is really good. I don't. I just, I really don't. I don't understand this guy. His grappling's good. He hits really hard. I feel like it's better to be lucky than good sometimes. And, you know, he lands some powerful shots. He's in there with some volatile competition. Kyle Dawkins did not turn out to be the fighter we all had thought, including myself. Phil Hawes, super chinny, one leg, stumbling around. He lands a beautiful combination. I'm not going to take anything away from him, but like Phil Hawes is super volatile. And then Jack Hermanson, like the weirdest thing was like the calf slicer, reverse calf slicer into ground and pound. It's like the strangest things in the world. Massive ownership towards Roman Delidze. And like... I don't know, man. I think Marvin's like, I think he's just a step ahead everywhere. I think that his striking's better than Roman. I personally think he's going to put on a striking clinic. I don't love him from a DFS standpoint. I think the best path for Roman is to make this ugly in the clinch, try to utilize his grappling, but like outside of a submission finish, Marvin Vittori is the better the better wrestler, the better grappler here, MMA grappler, because like Roman's pretty sneaky with jujitsu and leg locks and anybody can get leg locked. I don't know, man. I just see this resume that Marvin Vittori has five round experience. Hopefully he doesn't go out there and think he has five rounds to work with. He only has three. So we need him to go out there and work and hustle and put on just a completely different pace than we've ever seen before. Pretty poor performance against Robert Whitaker. Pretty poor performance against Robert Whitaker. Not really sure what the hell happened in that fight, but that's Robert Whitaker. I don't think Roman's the guy, man. I, I've been saying it. I'm going to continue to say it. 7,100, easily the most popular underdog next to Leon Edwards, and uh, I'm going to be underweight to it. Still going to get to him just because that luck can still continue, but it's the same guy that had a split decision over John Allen and lost a decision to Trevin Giles, who just out-jabbed him, outmaneuvered him. And just was able to be a little bit more mobile. So, uh, yeah, give me Marvin Vittori here. Absolute ownership play, too. 9,100 on paper. Looks like he's not going to put up a good score. This could be, y'all must have forgot. Marvin Vittori goes out there and just finishes Roman Delizze. But I think the safe bet is that Marvin Vittori just wins a decision and uh, Roman just shakes his head. You know, if you wanted to take Marvin Vittori via decision on the uh, the betting side of this equation, minus 135, something that kind of tells you. The way yeah. he bet, the betting public sees this one going here, if you think of Vittori can win inside a distance, plus 300. Uh, Vittori training at Extreme Couture does a lot of his work also. 
and it's a UFC apex. Of course, he was uh, in California for a while. Now uh, over there in Las Vegas, something to kind of think about there. But like, you know, it's one of these equations where I look at Vittori and we always talk about, look at those 9,000 options that just aren't getting ownership and going, God, can I get a little bit of leverage on the field? That That's why I'm looking at Marvin Vittori this week, Pete. Yeah, that was Carl Williams last week. And man, oh man, did I hit the nail on the head with that. I was like, oh my God, I'm so smart. But you can't just hit the, the one fighter correct, especially when you have the, you can hit the one fighter correct if they're the highest scoring fighter. And up until the Marab fight, he was. So then when the Marab fight happened, it's like, well, everybody who had Marab just killed the field. So um, these 9,000 options that are getting forgotten, get to them. Let's move over. Next up, we got a featherweight matchup. We got Jack Shore taking on Mach 1 Amir Akani. Jack Shore is a 5-1 betting favorite, plus 380 for Amir Akani. Over there on the DFS side, uh, Shore, 9500 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. And for Amir Akani, 6700 on DK, $9 on FanDuel. And, uh, I mean, like, like Pete, I think we could just uh, pit play on every Mark Juan Americani fight that we've talked about. Uh, one round upside. No, oh, yeah, man. Like, Americani wins in round one, sits at plus 850. That needs to be your play because you know he goes out there. He'll sprint from one side to the other. He'll go out there and land five, six takedowns, attempt anaconda, darts, chokes, all, start, all, all sorts of head and arm positions and uh, – if you're not wise in the jujitsu field, you're going to get put to sleep. And before you even know what happened, you're waking up. And, you know, he is in a, an interesting spot in a winnable matchup just because Jack Shore is coming up a weight class. And, you know, Jack Shore is coming off a, you know, a disappointing performance, one where his durability was put into question. And Makwan, a guy who's not known for his striking, can definitely make anybody respect it by just slinging some leather. You know, open his takedowns up. Me personally, I think Jack Shore's just two times the fighter that Maquan Americani is, and I think that if you show Maquan the door, I think he's gonna he's gonna open it. And um, you know, as far as fatigue, when fatigue sets in, he does not really look good at all. Jack Shore can punish him on the feet, land better boxing combinations. He can defend the takedowns from Maquan Americani. He can defend the submission attempts from Maquan Americani. He can counter. He can get his own takedowns. And I actually think we're going to get a ground and pound finish here from uh, Jack Shore. So I know it's a hefty, hefty line at minus 550. You got Jack Shore sitting here at 9,500. I love Jack Shore this week. I really do. Um, This is a guy I've been extremely high on. And he lost to my favorite bantamweight in Ricky Simone. Can't fault him for that. Absolutely love Ricky. So I think that. If Jack was a lot cheaper, if he was 9,000 flat, I would be locking him in just because I love it. And he's in a uh, matchup where his opponent isn't a 15-minute fighter and super volatile, and that's where finishes happen. So, uh, yeah, G- give me Jack Shore here at 9,500. 6,000, you-, you could get Maquan going out there and getting enough in a loss if he's able to survive. But, like, this is the same guy that lost to Camwella Kirk. Jack Shore's... A way better fighter than Camwell Kirk. Camwell is good, but like split decision win over Jason Knight. Yeah, man, give give me Jack Shore here, and I like I like him pretty aggressively at ninety five hundred. And of course, this is Jack moving up to one hundred and forty five pounds after a stint at one thirty five. But yeah, like you look over the props, and you know you mentioned about Jack Shore. I mean, minus one thirty win inside distance, plus two hundred to win by TKO KO, uh, plus two sixty five to win via submission. 
But the, the props on Amir Khan are crazy. You mentioned about that round one prop. If you just yeah. wanted to take the win by submission prop, plus 800, that is a crazy prop to me. Look, I like Jack Shore to win this one, but if you want to present a way of how Mac one Amir Khan is going to win this, round one submission is the way to go. Yeah, agree. I totally agree with you. Then when you get super specific and you guys, you know that a guy really only has one path in a fight, target the, the round and the, the method of victory. So... Uh, me personally, I think Shore wins inside the distance. I can't tell you if he's going to submit him or if he's going to TKO him. I feel like Shore must might be a little pissed off here, and uh, you know I, I can actually see just ground and pound. Macwan being wise enough, you know, defensively, yes, he'll be he'll be tired, but I'm seeing like Jack Shore on top, boots in, ground and pound finish, and uh, you know TKO sits at plus two two hundred, so I'm okay with that. I mean, if you want to play some crazy props here, you want to play some round props, Pete. Jack Shore wins round two plus 420. Jack Shore yep. wins round three plus 700. Yeah, I think that's the way to target Amir Khan. He's a good fighter for round one. Um, but if you can counter what he does, he gets desperate. You know what I mean? That like desperation look on fight certain fighters get? Like he looks mm-hmm. desperate from the get-go, so... Yeah, I'm all about Jack Shore. He's going to be one of my most aggressive 9,000 options. I hope the move up in weight doesn't affect him negatively. He's talked about how positive he feels in camp, how he's stronger, faster, feels like he has more energy, and it's like, dude, you are a stud. If he feels any bit better, we might actually have the guy who who you know performs in practice show up under the lights. Now we move over to Pete's favorite salary of the fight car. That is the A200, 8,000 fight. You got Chris Duncan taking on Omar Morales. Uh, Omar Morales is the A200. Chris Duncan, 8,000. They're both $15 on FanDuel. And it is a straight-up pick em on the betting lines, minus 110 on each side. And this is one where... Omar Morales. I mean, I look, I, 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 you know, I feel like I talk up Omar Morales more times than not, but I'm looking at kind of his salary ownership projection right now, Pete. And I'm like, God damn, that just is sticking off the page at me, man. Yeah. I don't blame you. Um, I, I don't blame you at all. Omar Morales is three and three in the UFC against a debut in Chris Duncan. You know, it's a, it's a leverage play for sure. And I try to almost get to a hundred percent in this fight. Um, past couple weeks, you know, whether I was on the right side or the wrong side, I still had enough of the, the other fighter that ended up winning to come through. And, uh, the salary just allows for so much. Right. And we do know that like, it's a close fight. It's a closely lined fight. Omar Morales, not really with Killcliffe FC anymore, Sanford MMA. So it's, it's a little strange. Um, going back to his home roots, I, I did see him training a little bit out of the Goat Shed, which is which is another uh, team down in Florida. Um, pretty tough team, but I I feel like it's uh, not like high level training partners, hard training partners, guys on the rise, but not guys at the top level. Um, I worry about the durability of Omar Morales. We saw Uros Medic. Put him away in the second round. We saw Jonathan Pierce out wrestle him like crazy, and then put a submission on him, and he was he was out. Shane Young, who has been a lower level fighter inside the UFC, he wasn't able to get the finish. Fought Giga Chikadze, got dropped numerous times. Giga's an absolute stud. You know, had a decision win over Gabriel Benitez, Dong Hyun Ma. I don't know, man. You would just think that there would be some 
knockdown. Some he has one knockdown in his entire UFC career, and it's against Dong Hyun Ma. Eighty two hundred, you can get to him. I really like Chris Duncan this week. Really, the the reason I like Chris Duncan is the aggressiveness. Now, aggressiveness can you know be great for you, but it can also run you into some shots. And on the contender series, man, Duncan was dropped. I don't know how many times and uh, looked like he was going to lose his second opportunity on Dana White's contender series. And then he lands a beautiful right hand and one of the best come from behind victories on the contender series. And he looked great. He looked well that the finish looked great. He didn't look good early on. Uh, he looked great against Slava Claus in his, in his debut on the contender series until the second round when he ran into a left hook. So volatile matchup here. What I do like though, is that Chris Duncan is now a part of American Top Team, has been for a little bit, and seems to be like really clicking with Grant Dawson, and they train exclusively with with each other. And Dawson talking about how strong Duncan is, how big he is for the division, and how he dwarfs him, despite Dawson being a humongous guy. Duncan does make him look a little bit small, and if you can kind of get that rub from from working with the high-level teammates, you know, Steve Mako's wrestling down on American Top Team, you know, Grant Dawson being one of your best friends there, main training partner. You know Chris Duncan has the wrestling advantage here over Omar Morales. So I'm going to go Chris Duncan. I think that he breaks the slate. I'm going to have enough of him, Omar Morales, in case that he knocks out Duncan because he's super volatile. But I feel like this fight's super important for your lineups. And I'm going to be going with Duncan to uh, get a victory in his UFC debut. Interesting. I'm interested in that one. I mean, I, it's just yeah. for me, it, it's just I, I'm looking and from a just a strictly DFS perspective, I'm looking at those projected ownerships. And I'm like, man, that just really just sticks out to me a little bit there in terms of that one. Let's move over to the next matchup. We got another 9,000 fighter, Sam Peters, Patterson, 9,000 and minus 280 betting favorite, taking on, you know, 7,200 on DK, 11 on FanDuel, plus 230 betting underdog. What's your thoughts, Pete? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting fight. And the reason it's so interesting is because you have an unknown guy in Yanal Ashmaz um, coming from a camp that is a super, super tough camp. And K-Dojo Warrior Tribe. And I actually know the owner of that and his uh, and another main training partner there as well. And they put out some tough talent. So... I don't want people to think that it's not a good gym. It's a sneaky good gym because the owner's super, super talented. He's a phenomenal teacher where he can combine good striking into phenomenal takedowns and all that stuff. So anybody coming from his gym is a tough out. Now, what I will say is that Sam Patterson is one of the most UFC-ready guys out there just because of his strength of schedule has been pretty tough. He is massive for the division as well. He stands at 6'3" whereas Ashmov is 5'9", and there's going to be a 10-inch reach advantage in this matchup, which I think is quite crazy because like Patterson's already huge. If he stays at range and is able to evade the attacks and wild swinging hooks of Yanal Ashmov, I think we're going to see Patterson take over as this fight goes on. Early on, Yanal Ashmov is really, really dangerous. If he can get inside your space, he swings those hooks super aggressive. He can land some takedowns, but I I really feel like he's a cardio liability. And against a guy in Sam Patterson who can knock you out on the feet, 
who can take your back and choke you out. Um, I think it's going to be a good weekend for the hometown fighters or any fighters representing the UK. Mm-hmm. I really do. And like Sam Patterson is a guy that I, I just, I think he's going to get it done. 9,000, um, you know, just because of the coach, the team that, that he's coming from and how he needs to win this fight by, you know, closing that distance, getting in tight and swinging hooks. I'm going to get to him. And that unknown factor where nobody's getting to him, I'm probably going to double it. But, um, yeah, I think that Sam Patterson is going to win in his UFC debut. Yeah, that's uh, someone I've been looking at this week. And, uh, you know, I want want to see kind of how that ownership goes over the next couple days to maybe see if uh, we can get a little bit of leverage there. On the field. Next up, we got a matchup. Muhammad Makayev, who is a nine to one betting favorite here, ninety seven hundred on DraftKings, twenty three dollars on FanDuel. Taking on Filho here, who is a plus six hundred betting underdog, sixty five hundred on DK, eight dollars on FanDuel. I know there was a question that came in a little bit earlier in relation to this fight. I just want to uh, bring it up here, Pete, before you start uh, bringing up uh, kind of your breakdown of this one. As uh, this came from uh, Sam uh, earlier on here in the show, he says Philo will beat Makayev on the feet, and his shoulder is blown, so no wrestling from Makayev. Am I crazy thinking this will be the same as TJ Dillashaw's last fight? I mean, it's kind of tough because we all have injuries, we all go through horrible stuff, you know, in training camps, and you don't know who's having legitimate injuries, who's had it from the large majority, like. He could say that, but then he'd be like in an interview, be like, my shoulder's been the same the past three fights. So um, I don't know, man. I would think that if you are if you are so injured, you wouldn't be taking a fight. Like, you know, like I understand that there's a financial aspect to this game. Um, you need fights in order to, to make some money. You want to climb the rankings. I still think that Muhammad Mikhaev is going to be the side. From a betting standpoint, would I put it a part of a parlay? No. Do I want to be the guy banking on this unknown injury? We don't know the severity of it. No, I don't. From a DFS standpoint, I'm going to get to him. But like I, I would imagine that there's going to be some close production of some other salaries that are a lot cheaper. So he has the highest ceiling on the on the card next to Kamar Usman, who is at a much cheaper price tag at 8,900. 97 is really difficult, right? Bo Nickel was close to that, if not 97, and uh, won so quick. Uh, he never he never made it into the optimal lineup because it just restricted the rest of your lineup construction. So I will say that Jafel Filio is a guy who uh, is pretty damn good and on the contender series against Roybert Echeverria, like, I actually was pretty high on Roy Burt because I know that it was one of the Goat Shed's best prospects coming out of their gym. Has great striking, solid wrestling, just solid overall. Looks UFC ready in all other fights. You know, I didn't expect Filio to win via knockout. I thought that if he did anything, he'd get into an advantageous position and uh, submit him because Filio has some really, really good, talented submissions and. In a jiu-jitsu match, he's great. And you start adding some punches, I, I think that any true, pure jiu-jitsu practitioner is a little bit less. I just don't know how affected Muhammad Makayev is going to be in this matchup. So outside of Makayev falling into a guillotine, not really being present for this fight, uh, 
Uh, I don't know. I'm still going to pick him. Still going to pick Makayev to win. I'll probably get away from a lot of the ownership. Still get to him a decent amount just because of the slate-breaking you know, aspects a part of him. But, like, Filio has power in his hands, and he has submission skills. I would say equal, if not better, than Malcolm Gordon, who's actually pretty talented on the mat, probably better than him. Uh, actually, will stand. I'll, I'll say absolutely better than Malcolm Gordon. And there were periods within Makayev against Gordon where it was like, I thought that he was going to do a little bit better. And uh, Gordon actually made it a tough fight. And Makayev was a 12 to 1 favorite in that one. So I think business as usual. Makayev is going to win based on control time and the scoring criteria. So, yeah, give me, give me Makayev to win this fight. Yeah. And to me, the only concern is really when we're talking about the, the salary aspect of it at, at yeah. 9,700. And what is the rest of your life? I mean, I would probably rather look at this from a betting perspective and, you know, Makai of uh, minus 150 inside the distance, um, plus 540 via TKO KO, plus 128 to win via, uh, via, win via submission, uh, plus 170 if you think Makai wins by decision. I think that's one's kind of a little bit, if you're trying to chase, I mean, you can't touch them. I mean, the money the money line, you can't touch it. A 9-1 to betting favorite, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, that's where people just, it's kind of just like that March Madness where, you just go down and you, you're click. You're building a ten leg parlay. Just put yeah. all these heavy favorites in. You get Virginia or something just getting completely busted out of the bracket before they even got through the first round. So let's move over to the next matchup. We got the returning Larone Murphy, who is a minus one seventy five betting favorite, taking on Gabriel Santos, a plus one fifty betting underdog. Gabriel Santos stepping up here. On short notice is 8,300 for Murphy, 7,900 for Santos on DK, and 16 and 14 respectively over there on FanDuel. And Pita, you were doing that social media dive on the Rome oh, Murphy yeah. and found some interesting things. I sure did. And, you know, if you're tuning into Fight HQ, we appreciate you guys because try to give you some exclusive takes and, and some in-depth breakdowns and some just a little bit different than some other channels. Tons of great people out there breaking down fights, but from a DFS and betting angle, I do love the dynamic that Jason and I bring to the table. Um, I would like to say that our goal this week, I know it's UFC 286. I know we're going to get a ton of people checking this after the fact that we, you know, from us going live, we get 286 likes. That would be insane. Uh, I know it's an astronomical number, but I think it's deserved for what I'm about to tell you guys, because I went on and I saw Lerone Murphy, who initially had a full camp prepared to go up against Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Wood had to pull out of the fight, and Nathaniel Wood is an absolute stud. Good good boxing, good wrestling, good everything. And now we have a guy stepping up on short notice, and it's Gabriel Santos. So Gabriel Santos is very talented, um, but if you go back and you look and watch some of Gabriel Santos's fights – I was kind of scratching my head. I'm like, this guy's undefeated. He does look raw, and he does get hit with a lot of shots. Um, there are times when, you know, against Elvis Silva and even against Marcio Barboza, there are times in Elvis Brenner even where he's getting hit, he gets dropped, he has to face a lot of adversity, and he does overcome that adversity. He gets in top position, starts raining down some punches, and in a dominant position, gets the back, works towards a submission or a TKO finish, wins some rounds. So I'm like, okay, like, you know, he does seem a little volatile. I, I think that there are some levels, and Lerone Murphy talked about he's going to make it pretty obvious that there's levels. Now the nugget I'm going to tell you is that Lerone Murphy has been training extensively with a couple people, one of which is one of the best minds in Dominic Cruz in the fight game, working a lot with him. 
But that's not the, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that one-on-one intense training with Roman Bravo Young, one of the most NCAA accoladed wrestlers out there right now. He's an absolute stud. Roman Bravo Young is just he's he's incredible in the wrestling. I'm watching him, you know, fix Lorel Murphy's takedown defense, working on his offensive takedowns. Um, I really think that Lerone Murphy, if he was more active, he'd be one of the most talked about names out there. He hits ridiculously hard, knocked out Makwana Mirkani, decision over Douglas Silva de Andrade, knocked out Ricardo Hamosh. And I think the Ricardo Hamosh fight is something that's very, very similar here to Gabriel Santos, who's going to want to be aggressive on the feet, look to take him down, gets thrown on his back a lot. Uh, If he does get good positions, he'll lose them and get reversed a lot. I'm big on Lerone Murphy here at 8,300. Outside of him getting like falling into some stupid submission, I, I think that he's going to break the slate also. So I am super heavy on Lerone Murphy this week. And that private training with uh, Roman Bravo Young, uh, I-, I think is going to really you know pay dividends here. And I think he's going to, uh, whether he's offensive with takedowns, defensive encounters the takedown attempts, or he just absolutely goes out there and knocks out Gabriel Santos. I, I want Lerone Murphy in a lot of my lineups this week. Yeah, I mean, the only concern I have with Lerone Murphy is just the, the 16th month layoff here. But if you want to look at the, you, you want to attack the betting side of this one, uh, and you think Murphy's going to get the stoppage, plus 275 inside the distance, plus 320 via TKO KO, plus 1700 if to uh, win by submission, or if you think this thing's going to go 15 minutes, plus 155 for Murphy to win by decision. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fight that like you don't know the the cardio of Gabriel Santos coming off a, a full camp how he would be if he had a full camp I would understand that these how these odds are mm-hmm. but like I, I do think that Lerone Murphy's at a nice discounted rate there is some unknown regarding you know his return into the octagon but like Murphy inside the distance at plus two seventy five is something I would just be all over. Let's move over. Next up, we got Christian Duncan taking on Dusko Todorovic. Todorovic is a plus 175 betting underdog, minus 210 for Christian Duncan. Uh, 8,700 for Duncan on DK, 7,500 for Todorovic, and then 18 and 13 respectively. Pete, let me let me preface it this way. Do you have a concern like I do of the potential takedown aspect with the underdog here? Yeah, so I mean, like one of my buddies asked me all the time, he's like, hey, do you want to you want to hear a joke? I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, all right, British wrestling. And, you know, it's there are some fighters that really struggle. And for the longest time, anytime somebody was going up against a British fighter, especially like a an American wrestler, you're back of that American wrestler. So you're always going to back the better mixed martial artists in some of these matchups. But I do think that the sport has evolved, even in the UK. I really do. And I think that Christian Duncan... You know, at one point, I really worried about his takedown defense. And, like, Dusko Todorovic is probably the better grappler of the two. Well, not probably. He is the better grappler of the two. Um, can he have success with it? He only had – he went two of seven against Chidi and Jaquani. I think that's a pretty comparable uh, person. You know, when, you, when you're sitting there and you're going to Christian Duncan to Chidi and Jaquani from takedown defense aspect. Um, striking skill, they're both prolific strikers. So – I do have some worry here, um, but Christian Duncan is pretty, pretty patient. And Dusko Todorovic has some horrible tendencies. Drops his hands, 
um, keeps his head on the center line. He's one of the most hittable people out there, and he does take a ton of damage, and he can even get out grappled. Like there were some some times where you know Jordan Wright was ragdolling him early on, and then he reversed positions, and second round he was he was putting it on and ended up getting him out of there. So I'm not really sold on Dusko Todorovich as I once was. If you go back and you really just you know, put his record under a microscope in the UFC. Win over to Quan Townsend, now no longer in the UFC. Maki Patolo, no longer in the UFC. Jordan Wright, no longer in the UFC. Lost to cheating Jaguari, Gre- uh, Gregory Rodriguez, and Punahela Soriano. So I don't hold Dusko Todorovic in high regard anymore. Um, you, you know, he's super volatile. There is a grappling path to victory here. He needs to grapple against Christian Duncan because – his tendency of being too hittable is going to work against him significantly against a very dynamic striker in Christian Duncan. I actually think it's going to be a patient performance from Duncan, though. He he's, he doesn't really rush things. There are times when you know somebody's hurt, somebody's fatigued, and he'll capitalize on it. But there's a lot of times where Christian Duncan will take his time. I'm seeing like a second or third round finish, if there is one at all. Uh, this is a guy that's going to you know, minimize his mistakes in there and try to put on a, a pure performance. So give me Christian Duncan at 8,700. Understand the grappling path to victory for Dusko Todorovic. But yeah, I, I'm a fan of, of Christian Duncan at 87. When I was looking at the prop bet market, there really wasn't much out there, uh, but did find a Christian Duncan wins via TK, uh, wins via decision at plus 500, which is uh, maybe if you're looking for a little bit of juice there. That'd be one way to find it out there, but uh, definitely a guy that, I mean, look, I, I do feel like this is from a, and we, we talk about this frequently of the UFC knows what they're doing with a side and B side. I feel like this is kind of a clear a side and B side, but yeah. just, it's just for me. And, and the reason I phrased it the way I did was I do have a little bit of concern. If this fight gets into the second round and even the third round, could that grappling a Dusko take over a little bit? Yeah, I would agree, but I mean, like Christian Leroy Duncan is one of the guys that has had the mo- one of the most experience outside the UFC from amateur to professional. So this guy knew all along what was going on and extensive time learning and developing. So I actually think that he's a UFC ready prospect. Let's move over. Next up, we got Jack Haley taking on Malcolm Gordon. Uh, Jack is a four to one betting favorite, plus three ten for Gordon over on the DFS side of the equation. Jake is ninety three hundred on TK, twenty dollars on Fanduel. Malcolm sixty nine hundred on DK and eleven dollars on Fanduel. This is another situation where we we got to look at this nine thousand fighter and go, yeah. man, not getting a ton of ownership, which kind of makes it go, maybe this is a guy you got to really look at. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Malcolm Gordon made the fight against Muhammad Makayev tougher than I thought. I thought he was going to get run through like a buzzsaw. And he was there, and he was able to, you know, get a takedown against Muhammad Makayev and defend the takedown and reverse once and sub- and work towards attempting a submission and have two and a half, almost three minutes of control time. And, you know, he was a step behind, but at least he was there. And it, it was – Muhammad Makayev had to navigate throughout that fight. It wasn't – there was no coasting. He had to, like – you know, be wise to it and was a step ahead. But I was like, okay, okay, Malcolm. Um, you kind of shocked me there, to be honest. And at 6,900, he's constantly an underdog and he's constantly thought of as not a good UFC level prospect. I mean, 7,600 against Amir Al Bazi, 7,100 against Sumer Dergi, 
7,300 against Francisco Figueredo, 7,100 against Denise Bondar, 6,600 against Mikhaev. So this, this 6,000 low 7,000 range is no, you know, it's, it's not unfamiliar territory. He's pretty comfortable being down here um, and thriving in that underdog spot. I'm going to get to some Malcolm Gordon. It's a flyweight bout. I view flyweights pretty similar to how I view, you know, the volatility of women's MMA and activity wins out sometimes. It's closely contested bouts. And, you know, I, I think that Jake Hadley has the finishing potential in this matchup, man. He, I really do. I, I think that he can easily TKO Malcolm Gordon. He can easily submit him. Um, it's just, you know, if that opportunity doesn't present itself, I think Malcolm Gordon can win a decision. So I'm not expecting a huge boom score if Gordon does win, but at that price range, who really cares? I'm not crossing off Malcolm Gordon. I am, in fact, getting pretty damn aggressive against Jake Hadley just because of that ownership that we're seeing. And it's like, yeah, he's a 9,000 option that I really, really like. Um, There's tons of, you know... Uh, durability question marks surrounding Gordon, whether you can knock him out and he looks like he doesn't want to be there or you can threaten with a submission and he ends up getting submitted. Um, I think he's kind of like maturing though. And, you know, Gordon's volatility might be somewhat erasing, but I I can't completely forget the past. So I'm going to go with Jake Hadley as one of my most aggressive 9,000 options out there. Yeah, to me, it's it's quite frankly, it's an ownership play. Just based on what we're seeing, kind of the ownership. That's why I yeah. I be kind of look at it in that light. And uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned about it. I mean, Malcolm Gordon. This guy's constantly being underdog uh, in the UFC. And looking over at the uh, prop bets in this one, uh, looking at the Jake Hadley minus one sixty win inside the distance, plus two thirty five to win by TKO KO, plus two ten to win via submission, and plus three ten to win by decision. Yeah, I mean. The inside the distance props is something that I'm going to be looking for for Jake Hadley inside. Well, it's so tough because it's almost it's minus 180 right now for Hadley to win inside the distance, and it's like I I would probably advise going to Hadley to winning via TKO KO just because I feel like he can show that door to Malcolm Gordon and start hitting him hard where Gordon can just shell up after getting hit with a big shot at plus 235 rather than getting into a grappling match. But that's when that silly knock him down, capitalize with a guillotine finish comes, and then we're we're, we're a little irritated with the result. But I'm going to say that Hadley to win via TKO KO is my official play. Let's move over to a female matchup. We got Joanne Wood taking on Luana Carolina. Uh, JoJo is a minus 190 betting favorite, plus 160 for Carolina. Over on the DraftKings side of the equation, 8600 for JoJo, 7600 for Carolina, and then 17 and 13 respectively over there on FanDuel. And, uh, you know, I I thought for some reason JoJo retired after her last fight. For some reason, I, I just thought that. And then this comes together here, and uh, we know your love for Syndicate MMA. Yeah, I think it's the trifecta, and the trifecta is questioning retiring, uh, you know, volatile women's MMA fight, low level. It's different when they're ranked, um, and then syndicate MMA. So it's the absolute trifecta that I'm going to avoid, and I'm going to say that Luana Carolina is going to be an underdog I want to get to a lot. Now, I know she just got completely face-planted and embarrassed in front of the whole world, against Miley McCann with that beautiful spin and elbow. That was late in round three, though. You know, 11.52 in, in complete fight time. So 
she threw 132 significant strikes. She landed 64. Um, you know, she's she is what she is. She's pretty big for the division, long for the division. If you're trying to take her down, she has some good framework. She can actually get the wizard well. She frames on the face. She fights for underhooks. She reverses positions. She likes to brutalize her opponents in the in the clinch. Joanne Calderwood or Joanne Wood has really fallen from grace. Like, truly fallen from grace. This is the same fighter that had a title fight and decided to stay active and then lost to Jennifer Maya. And next thing you know, she loses her title opportunity. And it's just like, girl, I feel bad. But at the same point, this is a fighter that seems checked out. I have to tell you, she seems completely checked out. She couldn't come back completely reinvigorated, and I could look like a fool. This is a fighter against Jessica I, where she was 8,400. Lauren Murphy, she was 8,200. Jennifer Meyer, she was 8,700. Caitlin Chukagan, she was 8,100. You know what I mean? Like, So she's been favored in a decent amount of her fights against some notable names, but she's also dropped back-to-back performances and been submitted in round one against Alexa Grasso, Tyler Santos, Jennifer Maya in round one, uh, Jessica Andrade in round one, Marina Morose in round one. I think that from a, from a, a hope and prayer that you think that she's going to go out there and take Luana Carolina to take down city. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I, I, I think that she's kind of playing with fire there. I don't think her jiu-jitsu is really up to par. I think her guard's solid, but everything else, like the submission defense, if you threat, if you put a bulldog choke on Joanne, Joanne Wood right now and it's kind of half in, I almost think that she just completely you know, gives into the position. So I will say that Luana Carolina is another underdog that I am picking to win this bout, and I have to tell you something that's interesting. I just read you those four or five um, – first round submission defeats that Joanne Wood has had. Now I know Luana Carolina Carolina is not good in the submission department, but anybody can take somebody, not anybody, but we're all trained to take the back and work towards a rear naked choke. I'm just saying that Luana Carolina to win by submission sits at plus 1200 across some books, plus uh, plus 1200 or plus 1000 across some books. I'm sprinkling some money on that because I just do not trust Joanne Wood. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for the longest time, one of the things you always love about JoJo was her volume. And that's where yeah. uh, over at Prize Picks, I'd probably be looking more at her on a Prize Picks play. Um, it's it's gone up a little bit. It was a little lower order this week. It's now 70 and a half. So people have really been pushing that that over there. But, uh, I mean, she's a volume striker. And, uh, you know, it's just, but it's always one of those things I, I kind of wonder is, is she one foot in, one foot out type situation? Yeah. And and is this kind of one of those situations of maybe hoping that you can go, you know, you can end your career on a win? And if you're, I, I just feel like as a fighter, if you're chasing that, if them may gods are just not too friendly to you. No, not at all. And a lot of people don't get to go out and leave the sport the way they want. We see it all the time. When you can. You have to applaud those people. You have to applaud Habib Nurmagomedov, George St. Pierre, leaving out on top, seeing these old legends get kind of put through the ringer and then chasing paychecks and bare-knuckle fighting. And it's like, man, like there was a time when you were atop of that mountain and 
the more you get in there, the the, the more you're tarnishing your legacy. But not, not only that, just health wise too, right? Like we don't want to see these guys, these legends, you know, men and women alike, just deteriorating in front of our eyes. It's sad, man. So leave when you can. I get why. I, I don't think that Luana Carolina is some dangerous fighter by any means, but like, I just I just don't trust Joanne Wood as a favorite, like anymore. Yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, I mean, and, you know what I mean. And the price tag to me is a little concerning too. At eighty six hundred. Yeah, if she, if she well, okay, so what does she need to do? Let, let, let's let's kind of dive. It's eighty six hundred. She scored one hundred seven in a three round fight against Jessica I. Outside of that, like. The best performance she had was back in 2016 when she threw 208 significant strikes and, and landed three of six takedowns and, you know, body kicked Valerie Letourneau. You know what I mean? Like, bro, 2016. It, it, it's 2023, so, like. What I would say concerns me about this slate is because we've got so many grapplers yes. who could just get 115, 120. Yeah. And, you know, this is – and, I mean, look, we got 15 fights. So you're you got to be saying I need six fifty I need probably seven hundred points to take down a big GPP you know so that that to me is why you, you got to kind of circle these grapplers and say okay who can potentially get there and and maybe someone like a Laurel Murphy a three hundred is somebody you got to really look at to uh, try to help uh, build that roster construction there uh, let's move over next up we got uh, Klein and Herbert Klein a minus one ninety betting favorite plus one sixty for Jai Herbert. Uh, Levitt Klein, 8,400 on DK, 16 on FanDuel. And for Herbert, 7,800 on DK, 15 on FanDuel. Pete, uh, we uh, we missed out on Klein the last fight, and uh, oh, I, have, I have not forgotten about that one. Yeah, I don't think anybody has. You've been paying attention to me. I was like tooting the Mason Jones horn. Like that Mason Jones was the guy. You would have thought that his name was Tom Aspinall or Hamza Shemaev the way that I was, you know, just backing Mason Jones so heavy. This is a guy, Mason Jones, that I really believed in. So I didn't give uh, Ludovic Klein much of a shot. He had a split decision win over Devontae Smith, submission defeat to Nate Lambler, who's not known for submissions, and he kind of just broke him over time, and a decision defeat to Michael Trezano. I'm like, man, Mason Jones is a guy I thought was going to be ranked. Now he's outside the UFC, and good Lord. But anyways, he went in there against Mason Jones and just did enough to to make Mason – hesitant and hit him with some big shots, defending some takedowns, knocked him down. And, you know, outside of his debut where he knocked Shane down with that beautiful combination, it's been lackluster. I got to say, like, look at this volume, 87 for Mason Jones, 95 for Devonta Smith, 85 against Nate Landwer, 86 against Michael Cherzano, super low volume, not a guy that that's really going out there and implementing takedowns either. So if you're banking on, uh, Ludovic Klein to go out there and take Jai Herbert to take down City. He attempted seven against Michael Trezano, landed four. It could happen. Uh, that's probably the easiest pass because I actually think that despite the uh, durability concerns about Jai Herbert, you know, like you you have to respect his skill set. He's a talented striker, and he showed that against Kyle Nelson. I thought he was going to get a finish over Kyle Nelson, but I think it was more about solidifying a safe win. Got a nice knockout over Kama Worthy. Um, this is another underdog, man. I, I'm picking Jai Herbert here. Whether he gets a finish, I don't know. I actually think it's going to be a lackluster, technical, striking, technical, kickboxing type of match. And he's going to win the decision. Uh, but if you do not trust Jai Herbert, I don't blame you at all. 
And I'm going to be picking Jai Herbert at 7,800. I just, I don't know. Ludovic Klein could be that guy, that sneaky takedown artist that you can circle. But yeah, I'm going to go Jai Herbert here at 7,800. <laughs> yeah, you know why I'm laughing. Bro, you see me sink? I disappeared. <laughs> I was There's like, this. I was looking over the live stream and I'm like, like, hold on. Did Pete just drop like an inch? Yeah, I gotta like, I gotta act like I'm. I hit the elevator button or something. But good lord, yeah, we still got the same chair. So, um, yeah. So priorities, man. Priorities. The uh, the chair is at the bottom of the priority list. <laughs> yeah. No, yes, you have you have uh, some ba- much 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 bigger priorities. Uh, you know, with with what's going on in your life. Yes, I, I trust me. I understand. Yeah, and uh, Jason actually, um. It's going to be a hectic next week because we'll have to figure it out. But Monday starts the uh, induction process. So uh, Bree's getting induced on Tuesday. So I could be a dad on Tuesday. I could be a dad on Monday. So we'll have to figure it all out. It's really approached quickly, man. And, you know, the April 2nd due date, she's coming a little early. She's a little small. So a little peanut and – yeah, I'm going to be a dad in like, what, four days, five days? It's crazy. Yeah, the time flies. It, it feels like yeah. it wasn't that long ago. I get a FaceTime from Pete and uh, lets me know what's going on. And that that feels like it was like two months ago. But it was it's much crazy, longer than that. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And if you've been, you know, checking out our channel and just following along, you guys know. You, you'll be like, man, I remember when he, he said he was having a baby. And now in a week, I'll be a dad. So. Yeah, I can't wait. Appreciate your support as always, guys. You guys are great being a part of this community. If you're a part of our Discord, that's awesome. Totally enjoy the conversations and all that stuff and you know, subscribing to our YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, if you just send a congratulations or you tune into our show, we really do appreciate you guys. Of course, we got one more fight here to break down before we get into those uh, fight picks and listener questions. We got Juliana Miller taking on Veronica Hardy. Uh, Veronica has uh, got married. She was Veronica Macedo, so she's married to Dan Hardy. Uh, she is a plus 350 betting underdog. Miller minus 440. Uh, Miller 9400 on DK, 21 on FanDuel. Veronica 6800 on DK, $10 on FanDuel. Um, look, I, you know... I think that this is a, a clear A side B side here. And uh, I truly do expect that if Miller gets the win, uh, the days of Veronica Hardy in the UFC will come to an end. Yeah. I have to tell you, I don't think they're doing Veronica Hardy any favors here. Now this is low level women's MMA, but this is an athlete in Juliana Miller who won the ultimate fighter. So she put up a very, very strong performance against Brogan Walker, who I do think is a, more physical opponent than what Veronica Hardy is. This is, you know, an interesting matchup for sure. Veronica Hardy has solid striking. She has some excellent Taekwondo and usually she can um, put together some tricky submission attempts. If it hits the map, she can reverse and just scramble a little bit, but I actually think that can work against her a little bit because as far as DFS, because I think that can boost the totals of Juliana Miller or Miller's going to have to really capitalize on a position, throw up a, a hard submission, a triangle or get in top position, start raining down ground and pound. And we saw what she did, man. The killer Miller is, is super, super brutal. 9,400 price tag completely warranted. I am not crossing off um, 
you know, Veronica Hardy, but super low exposure just because of, you know, what I actually, my expectations for this fight. I think that Juliana Miller should go out there and get it done. If Hardy wins, it could be just a decision. I mean, look at Ariana Lipsky last week, decision. You know what I mean? Like she went out there and working with Amanda Nunes paid off. I, I threw that little nugget out there and, you know, I, I made sure to get to her at least a little bit just in case she was able to pull off a decision and Hardy can do the same. But I, I don't think that uh, the UFC is really helping her out by any means, putting her here against Juliana Miller. My only concern with Miller is I the, the stand-up game aspect. It's very developing. I mean, obviously she's she you know she's a ground you know that's what she does. But that to me would be the concern is if she doesn't if this fight does stay on the feet. That's where if you were going to make a case for for Veronica Hardy, that to me is a case to make. Yeah, agree. And it's like. You know, Juliana Miller strikes like she's swimming. She just, like, flails at times. And whenever you flail against somebody who's clean, you know that Hardy's working with, you know, uh, Veronica right now, like, on a lot of staying tight, throwing, capitalizing on those opportunities, throwing hard punches. And I'm sure she's going – it's weird, though, because she's coming off a significant layoff. Could there be room of room for development? Sure. We don't know. That's that X factor. But, you know, uh, fight film – doesn't really lie to me, and I'm going to just lean with Juliana Miller, but I understand why you can't cross off Veronica Hardy. Of course, if you got any questions, be sure to leave those in the chat right now. We're going to get to those questions here in a moment. Let's get right into our straight-up fight picks. I will start with the main event, and uh, give me Kamaru Usman. Okay, give me uh, Edwards. All right, so you got underdog number one. I'm, I'm really struggling with some underdogs. That's what I'm just going to say that straight up. Uh, Co-main event, uh, give me uh, Rafael Fazeev. Eve, baby. Gunnar Nelson. Nelson. I guess we're going to be a little different. I'm Give me Casey O'Neill. Okay, I'm going Maya. Uh, I would say Vittori. Vittori. Uh, Jack Shore. Jack Shore. I would go Omar Morales. Okay, I'm going to go Duncan. Give me uh, Patterson. Patterson. Mikhaev. Mikhaev. Murphy. Murphy. Uh, I like Duncan, even though I, I'm concerned uh, the, if the fight goes long. Duncan. Give me Hadley. Hadley. I'm going to go Carolina, but don't feel great about it. Carolina for me. I'll go Klein. Uh, Jai Herbert for me. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. And give me Miller. Miller. So if you count the the pick'em fight, I got five underdogs. So I, I think that for the most part, it's going to be a really, really good night for the UK. Um and it's I, a I it's gonna be a hell of a card. It's a tough dog weekend for me. It just, I mean, like there's obviously dogs that I can see very much easily winning. You know, yeah. Le, Leon Edwards being one of them. Um, I don't rule out Gaethje. You know, but it's just in terms of making those picks. Let's look over at uh, prize picks over here. Um, the Usman takedown prop man is four. That is yeah. scary to Older me. Man. Unless he gets flatlined early, I just yeah. think he, he breaks that. I mean. In their um, first fight, like he had six, and that was a fifteen-minute fight. Yeah, I mean, if he goes, if you tell me this is round four, round five, he should go over at four takedowns. Agree. Um, uh, other things on prize picks that uh, stick out to me. Uh, I like the over one and a half takedowns of Marvin Vittori. I think he could he could hit some late takedowns late in the round to kind of get that one to go over. Yep. Uh, the other one that stuck out to me was 
Rays. Uh, I like the under 14 and three quarters fight time on Lerone Murphy. I love that. I love that. That's a hell of a, that's a hell of a play right there. That's yeah. a great one. Um, looking over at underdog fancy, um, kind of a, a lot of the same numbers kind of exist. Kind of the same thing. Uh, the Makayev takedown prop on underdog fancy is four and a half. I might take the less, but yeah, I don't that, know. This is like betting against hub, betting against like a Colby Covington type of style. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is what he does. He only got six against Gordon, but like, I don't know, man. Uh, looking over at uh, Super Draft, um, I mean, look, in terms of champions, Usman 1.75 is definitely interesting, you know, just because of, of how he would potentially win that matchup. Yep. Um, other uh, champions that would stick out to me that maybe get a little bit of a better multiplier, maybe Lerone Murphy at 1.8 is one that sticks out to you a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, for me to get the multiplier, I'm probably just going to, you know, just go after the main event. Truthfully, it's just like so easy to get those points unless you really think it, uh, you feel super confident in a finish. I do feel super confident in a Lerone Murphy finish. I also feel like Lerone Murphy working with, you know, working with uh, um, Young, I, I, I think that he could get takedowns in, in his own right. He's landing and drilling and all that stuff. So, like, he could be that sneaky takedown artist who, yeah. we, you know, he wants to go out there and just prove all, prove that he can wrestle too, so. Uh, let's get a question in from Discord over here. It says, value plays under 8K on DraftKings. So, I mean, obviously, Great. all right, Leon Edwards, I mean, obviously that's self-explanatory. Um, I don't mind the Gaethje. Um, don't really like Barbarina. I mean, I think Barbarina would have to just keep maybe a third round, you know, type thing, but really don't love there. Um, it's got to be Luana Carolina for me. I just yeah. she attempted three submissions. Think about this. You know how crazy and and scared I am to back Joanne Wood because of the submission defense. She attempted three submissions against Priscilla Cachoeira. She also attempted one submission against Ariana Lipsky. So like this isn't a girl who doesn't know how to you know work submissions. Um, I just think it's that's a nice path to victory there. Yeah. Uh, get into uh, some questions over here in the YouTube chat here. Uh, Barry brings up a great point about the main event, co-main event, Trevor Whitman with back-to-back fights that he'll be cornering. That is, but that is something he has done before. I mean, this isn't something that's, uh, not new to him. He does that all the time. I mean, he did it with Rose and Camaro and Justin and you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It, it might make it easier on the coaching staff. I also think that it can deflate you too. Like it, it depends on how attached you are to that person and like how you let their result affect you. You know what I'm saying? Like you see your teammate, like, like if Kamaro sees Justin Gaethje get completely flatlined against Hafez Fazeev, it's going to take a little win out of your sails. When I had a friend of mine get knocked out pretty bad, it didn't take the win out of my sails. It pissed me off, and it made me like that shit ain't happening to me tonight. There's no way, nope. So then yeah. it kind of like you know reinvigorated me. Uh, next up, Sammy says he goes, "Are we stacking the main event cash and or GPP?" I'm going to a little bit, like no more than 10%. I think 10% or more is too much. I would say more. That'd be more of a cash play for me. Yep. You're the cash God. Jason is the cash God. If you guys don't know, like cash God King. That's my my go-to, man. That's my go-to, man. Play cash, man. Do you ever lose in cash? Uh, Oh, nothing (laughs) crazy. It's pretty good when he has to think about it, right? You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) 
I can't I can't recall. You uh, know, I, I mean I, I had a bad streak about three weeks ago. Uh in NBA. But uh but overall in MA yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good in cash. By the way, Sam will mention his top two cash. Um Let's hear it, yeah. I, I really like Gunnar. I, I would probably say Gunnar Nelson. I mean, I like Jack Shore, but I, at that point, I'm giving you a 9,200, 9,500 fighter. Yeah. Um, I mean, now, for cash, like, there's no way you're avoiding the main event. Oh, no, 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 no. So I, it's got to be Kamar Usman's one, right? Yeah, I mean, Usman will be there. I mean, I, I can see myself... Um, in various cash instructions, stacking the main event, you know, and, but the whole fear with in cash and stacking the main event is a, you know, first, second, third round stoppage. I need, I need that thing to go 25 minutes. Yeah. Yep. Agree. Um, top two GPPs and top two underdogs. All right. I'll go to the top two underdogs for me. Um, I'm going to say Chris Duncan at 8,000. It's not, I mean, it, he falls in that yeah. category because he is at the 8,000 mark. Um, the second one for me is going to be – it's like a three-headed monster monster between Jai Herbert, Jennifer Maia, Luana Carolina. Who do I actually think is in the easiest matchup where their opponent's super volatile? It's got to be Luana Carolina. I, I have to say, I know that she's coming off that crazy knockout, but – I mean, I'm pretty sure she just married her jiu-jitsu coach too, so that jiu-jitsu might show up here. So, um, going Luana Carolina 7600. You know, in terms of uh, you know top two uh, top two GPPs, this is where I, you just got to be looking at grapplers. You know, and, and yes. I think that throughout this car, you can look at various uh, people that could take that grappling edge. Um, but you know, to me, it's or talk about 15 fights. It's just like, man, like you know. I, how many 9,000 options make in the optimal? I think that's that's the kind of the question mark. It's a great question. It is a great question. Um, is it just one? I think it's just one, man. Man, two max. But uh, yeah, now, it's now, so it, tough, it, right? Like, yeah, if, if Leon Edwards wins the main event, then I think it's a much easier path to two being in the in the optimal. Oh, but, it, it, but if Kamar Usman wins, it's probably just one. Yeah, all day. Yeah. Uh, top MVPs and champions. So as I look over at the MVPs, I mean, I mean, look, it's, you know, Kamar Usman, what he could do. Um, God, a lot of leverage if you take Leon Edwards. $16 is on Fandle. That, that's really intriguing to me. Um, I do like Gunnar Nelson. As an MVP, Jack Shore will be another one's MVP that would stick out to me. Yeah, um, Jack Shore is a, a complete, like, aggressive play this week. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to load this right now, and I don't have it. It's not loaded on my end. But I will say that Hotfield Fazeev, might be one of the most intriguing players across, you know, the captain contest, across the regular slate. Prolific striker. Both anticipating a high kickboxing fight where we know that Gaethje gets rocked a lot. 8800 is a fair price tag. I kind of think that fight's going a little under-owned than what it should be. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, like, there, there is some leverage because if you just go to the favorite – 
I know he he hasn't beaten a guy like Gaethje, but it, this might be hop on the, the the bandwagon a little bit early. Favorite inside the distance uh, fights to parlay. Uh, I'm gonna go. Let's see if I can do this real quick. I like Gunnar Nelson a lot. So let's build this parlay. So we're gonna start with Gunnar Nelson. Would you be? Would you agree with me that Gunnar Nelson's one of your favorite, if not your yes. favorite, inside the distance play? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. And um, it's just. I actually think he just submits him. That's like his best path to victory. But if you want to just be safe, throw him in there, win inside the distance. Nelson win inside the distance, minus 110. All right, so we got that leg. I think that Jack Shore is another nice bet to win inside the distance. So we have Shore to win inside the distance. And Gunnar Nelson, that combined is plus 264. That's pretty good so far. If you want to get tricky and you want to add a third, it comes down to who you believe in. Do you think Jake Hadley is going to finish Malcolm Gordon, who's been chinny? Do you think that – I, I kind of just like that two-legger. I mean, yeah. plus 264, a huge favorites. Just do that. I like that a bit. Yeah. Uh, let's move over to our next question here. Uh, to uh, Top place to find in the optimal – um, I mean, look, it's main event is kind of is the top one right there. Eight thousand eighty two hundred fight. Yeah, that's a good one too. Uh, leverage play by salaries and ownership range. Um, I'm looking at these nine thousand options that aren't getting um as highly expected. Like I look at someone like a Jack, uh, a Jake Hadley as Agreed. someone in that nine thousand options to look at in terms of an ownership play. Um, they eight hundred eight thousand. I think is another fight that's an ownership play. Yeah, the the nine thousand ownership plays. Jake Hadley, I'm in agreement with you. Jack Shores, the the second one I want to get to. Uh, Nelson's right there as well, but like, I, I think it's Shore and Hadley. I just want to go a little bit more aggressive than the field. His uh, Sam's over under number is eight and a half. I'm Give me more. Th- oh, I was almost thinking under. Well, let me see. Yeah. Uh, give me more. Give me more. It's a good number. I think back it, in the UK, man. It's a violent night. I think I think it's it's a really good number. Uh Samuel says possible stackable fights besides the obvious. Uh I wouldn't only fight I would stack as main event. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna stack anything else. Um only thing that could be interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Mokayev could land twenty something takedowns. But Jafel Filio is so damn cheap, and it's flyweight, and we know that he's good from a jujitsu aspect. That's the only other one that I would consider, but I just think it's a losing strategy outside of a main event. Uh, Sam asking uh, your thoughts on Filho for a GPP on DraftKings. Yeah, flyer, complete dart throw. Um, you need a submission finish. You need to hope that that injury rumor is real. You know, like Francis Ngannou had a torn ACL, torn something, went in there against Cyril Ghosn, and, you know, how many people been into that narrative? You know, so it's like, forget about it. Unless you know firsthand and, like, you've seen him and you know the severity of it, I just say just back the better fighter. 
Next up, uh, Hockey Freak Sean says, best mid-price fighter to smash in. It's Larone Murphy for me. That is who I am yeah. all about this week. So short-notice opponent, working with one of the best wrestlers in the game right now. I just like Larone a lot. And uh, we'll leave on this one. Joey asked that there will be a Fight HQ DK contest this week. Yes, I've just not set it up, but I will put it in the – uh, we'll have a link uh, in the pinned comments in our Discord channel. Also, we'll put it in here in the show notes and the podcast notes so you'll be able to check out that contest so Pete can once again lose to me. i got to get back on the winning ways. Yeah, can't wait. Cannot wait. I want to I I, I f- see the, the familiar names in there, and I want to take down the first – my first – Fight HQ DraftKings contest this week. So that, that's what I'm going for. I feel like I have a good idea what your lineup's going to ultimately look like. You ain't know. You don't know. Let me let me hear it. Give me two fighters in it. Leon Edwards. Uh, okay. Lerone Murphy. <laughs> okay. I, I always feel like that's where you start off. Oh, right, bro. That's you're right on. That's it's pretty damn good. Yep, okay, so then then, uh, then I'm thinking, okay. Let me see. Let me tell you. Then I think you're going to debate between Jack Shore and Jake Hadley. You're going to take one of them, too. Are you calling me predictable? Um. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Just like well, I'm predictable. I mean, yeah, but I also, like, what type of guy would I be if I said all this and then I took, like, opposite guys? Like, no, you Okay. You're right on the – you're completely right. So now I have, what, three remaining fighters left? So, yeah. I, okay, I I, this is where I think, you know, in constructing cash lineup for me this week will be is, is looking at that 7,500 and below. It's going to be easy to get to Leon Edwards. I, I totally get that. Totally get yeah. that. To me, it's that who else we, besides Leon Edwards in that price range – do you want to put in your cash lineup? Like I can see me getting the Gaethje, but man, I'm like, I'm just concerned. He's got to win because if in a loss, I just don't see him scoring enough. That makes sense. Yeah. I I recommend you put Veronica Hardy in your lineup, Jason, in our DraftKings contest. So I I recommend that's a very good strategy for you. Look, she, look, she, if she can stop the takedowns, it's a, it's a winnable fight for her. Yeah, for sure. It's, but that's a big look what Ariana Lipsky did last week. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean God <laughs> Joey it, Rock says Carolina is four. Damn it, y'all. You got four <laughs> of my six fighters. <laughs> yeah, but I might I, as well I, not play. Uh, I uh, mean but look, if you have I mean Leon if you're developing a lineup and you say I'm starting with Leon Edwards, it's mm-hmm. going to make roster construction much easier. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like, if you are in our DraftKings contest, you're either on Kamaru safe side or ballsy Leon Edwards side. And it's going to yeah. be split down the middle, probably 50-50, maybe even 70-30. So I, I can't like, wait to see which, which side you guys lie on. This is a reality, okay? The likelihood is three of my six will be Gunnar Nelson, Kamaru Usman, Lerone Murphy. Then that leaves me oh. 7,800 left. So I got to start taking some chances. Yeah, you're going to go Justin Gaethje. I already know it. Or you're going to go that. To, yeah, I don't know. See, you're so, such a wild card. See, but that, I don't that, know what to do with you. But that's the thing. Underneath 7,500, I'm going, okay, 
who do you feel confident to win? I know you have questions about Todorovic, uh, his opponent, Duncan's takedown defense, but you still like Duncan. I, do, probably I, feel like, I feel like Duncan might knock him out in the first round, though. Yeah, you'll probably go with Gaethje. I, yeah, even if I put Gaethje in, my final two, average remaining per player is 8,100. That's what I'm saying. That's why taking Leon Edwards makes roster construction so much easier. 1,000%. And according to ownership, how is he not more? Um, yeah. Well, I, well yeah, we, we know where people are pivoting to, and I don't believe in that guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean the, the thing that, you know, if you're going to be a Leon Edwards backer, and whether we're talking about GPP or cash, it's this, man, if Usman is the Kamar Usman that we know and he just goes out there and just, you know, chain wrestles and rack up points, you know, he, he could easily rack up 130 points. Oh, all day long. He scored 100 in a loss. It's, it's Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. But that is, yeah. But we'll, we'll see how it all goes down. Of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in here for our preview show for UFC 286. Of course, it all goes down on Saturday. And, uh, of course, you got any questions for us, you can leave those in the comments. You hit up our Discord channel, and we will put that DraftKings contest here in the show notes as well. Pete, anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? No, just before you guys head out, hit that like button for us. Subscribe to the channel so you don't miss our content. And uh, next week, we'll have to figure it out. But I, I hope that... We can, you know, talk in the Discord about the fights. Uh, can't wait to see what unfolds this weekend. And uh, thanks again for the support, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. And that is going to wrap it up for us. As peace, so we appreciate you tuning in for this episode of Fight HQ. And of course, so you got any questions? Be sure to hit us up in the comments section or over in our Discord channel.